generation dwells here. And then we moving by the pack, so we moving them. And even if you don't, then you do, cause you cool with them. They be like, I only went to school with them. Welcome to Color Correction, a GCC podcast about race and faith from the perspective of an Asian guy, a black girl, and a brown guy, too. My name is I'm just going to cut this in. My name is Andrew. I'm Asian. I use he, him pronouns. And my name is Bethany. I'm black and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Johnny Brown, he, him. So normally the third member of our podcast is Chris, a white guy, but we thought it would be interesting to just have an extended version of the conversation that we started last week with just the persons of color. Um, Originally, this was a subject that we thought we were going to tackle in the first part of that episode, but we it, we it kind of got away from us. And then Beth, you you reminded you reminded us that that is a thing that we wanted to talk about mm-hmm. uh, specifically. Have I said this already, Beth? What is it that you wanted us to address, or that you thought yeah. it was important? I want to talk about why we're at a white church as people of color. What draws us in? What keeps us here? What do we get out of it? But what do we also lose from it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's like a, it's kind of a natural extension of what we were talking about last week when we were talking about kind of in general, what, what is the point of the institutional church and what does it provide us? You know what? I th- kind of interesting thing that happened in this last week was that Beth Moore left the Southern Baptists. Um, and I just kind of kept thinking about our conversation throughout the whole looking at that whole news story. Um, did you guys see this? Yes. I'm not familiar so, with who um, Beth Moore is. Beth Moore is a Bible teacher connected with Lifeway in the Southern Baptist Convention. And in 2016, she repudiated the SBC's, you don't want to say endorsement because they technically didn't endorse Donald Trump, but they certainly spoke to him as the one to vote for, and she repudiated mm-hmm. him. So from that point, she's been frustrated with the direction of the Southern Baptists when it comes to sexism and racism particularly. And she's a conservative Texas white woman. You know, she's, mm. she's not an activist by any stretch, but that's how bad the Southern Baptists got. And so this week she said, I don't consider myself a, ba- a Southern Baptist anymore. I'm still a Baptist, but I can't. I can't do this anymore. Right. And like Beth Moore is like an evangelical superstar who's like faces all over books in any Christian bookstore. Um, And I was, I mean, I was thinking about our conversation as we were, uh, as, as, as the story unfolded um, for a lot of reasons, you know, I mean, we had dressed the, we had spoken, we had talked about the idea of um, complementarian theology and sexism Mm -hmm. in the church and also, like, when is it so bad that you have to leave? I mean, another thing that I was thinking about is, how was this institution founded? Like, the Southern Baptists exist literally because of slavery. Mm. Um, like, they exist, there are Southern and Northern Baptists because the Southern Baptists supported slavery and the Northern Baptists did not. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, the, the legacy of that is just, it's such a strange, it's such a strange thing, historical fact to hold on to. And like, to what extent does that kind of affect who you are today, the way your institution started? Um, mm-hmm. 
But I guess if, so. I guess that kind of colors the conversation I want to have because Beth, you you raised you raised a few good points. So you raised a few things that are are important for us to talk about, um, which is that we are part we are persons of color in an institution that is predominantly white now and was founded as being predominantly white mm-hmm. and is part of um, a legacy of mostly white people. Mm-hmm. Um, which raises the question of why are we here and why do we stick around and what do we get out of it? Which is different for us than it would be for, you know, just another disaffected evangelical who's generally uncomfortable with the church. Mm-hmm. So how do we want to approach this? Touching back on what drew us to Circle of Hope? Or did mm-hmm. we go into that in such fine detail the first time? We did talk about why we stay, but we didn't talk about why we stay in a white church. So mm-hmm. right. if you want it to be distinct, you want to focus on race. Right. Well, Beth, you, you had said some... when I, but Earlier, you, said you, you had a pretty good question, which is like, what do you... What do we miss? Yeah. What do what, we miss about you... churches that come... That mm-hmm. So I feel like the black church is beyond just being a black church thing and actually has expanded to be a part of black culture. Like there are things that like you can say in black culture and everybody, even if you were a Muslim, you would understand like the reference. Um, so, yeah, there the, that sort of thing, that sort of bond is something that like I miss about Mm. being a part of a black church. So that's what I'm thinking of. Like, yeah. What What are some examples of that? What do you mean? Like I miss being able to dress up and go to church Mm -hmm. and like having myself, I don't know, not necessarily fond over, but like somebody just recognizing how like sharp my outfit is because mm-hmm. I feel like that's such a part of black culture that like the way you present yourself um, is almost a form of like artistic expression. And I miss having an avenue for that because white people don't give a fuck. Like they wear jeans, mm-hmm. they take their shoes off and sit crisscross applesauce and stuff. Like clothing is not a thing in white churches at all, but in black church, yeah, that's like a, a staple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to live across the street from uh, in in uh, in Yorktown in uh, in across the street from Mount Zion United Methodist, and uh, every every Sunday, like the like people lining up to go to church, and like the ladies with their hats and stuff, like mm-hmm. like there that is a there is a distinct thing that people dress up for, and like a distinct church look that mm-hmm. is very celebratory. Um, that is like it's cool that it exists so i get what i i I hear what you're saying um so you're saying that you like you miss being part of that culture and i think you're right in that like it's kind of inseparable from right it's like it's really intertwined historically and just like i mean music for for instance Mm -hmm. how many times do you see a secular artist bring a church choir into like a video or something like that Mm -hmm. you know what i mean or like kanye west when he went on his um like black choir tour where he had Mm -hmm. those like Sunday meetings or whatever he was calling them Sunday services. Meanwhile, he wasn't paying those people and they're suing him now, I believe. 
He just, was he just won a Grammy for Best Contemporary Christian Record, that dude. Did he? Yeah, he did, yeah. He beat Lecrae? Evidently. Was it Lecrae? I think Lecrae was Was he even nominated? nominated? Hey, did y'all see when that. Kirk Franklin cursed out his son? <laughs> yes. No, but my friend told me about it. That was... I mean, I, was, I can understand. I was very disappointed in him. I was, too. Is he what getting he canceled say? now? What did he say? Yeah. He was, he is, a, it was a profanity laced, I would say, um, abusive message to his grown son. How old is his son? He's a grown man. I don't know how old he is. He ain't a kid, but. And then his son put it on Instagram. Oh, what an asshole. Oh, so you think, Kirk, yeah, that's what happened. My timeline was split between people saying Kirk's, Kirk's being abusive and people saying, you can't do that to Kirk Franklin. She's looking it up now. She's off social media. She's off social media for Lent. I wasn't aware of it. And as a good pastor, I did not send her the tweet. Because, of course, I wanted Bethany's reaction. That's so funny. I mean, as a father, you can't talk to your kid like that. You know, there's no... I don't think there's a cultural context that allows for it. Really? Even though they're both adults? Yeah. Oh, he's going to be 33? Yeah, that's a little old to be talking to. I thought he was like a young whippersnapper <laughs> oh, so, that needed a good so, cuss out, like you ain't really grown yet cuss but out. But if he's older, it's worse to you? Yeah, it feels really It's worse if he's older? It does. Because you know, like there's, I'm I'm also black, right? So there's like a, there's like a black parental understanding. Like when you get grown to a point where you try your parents in a certain way and they have to remind you that like, not only am I your parent, but I'm also a grown woman and I'll whoop that ass if I need to. Like if you want to scrap, we can do that. I think everybody gets that. So that's what I assumed this was. But at 33, it just feels abusive. <laughs> Okay. But maybe I'm sick and no, twisted. You, gotta, yeah, you should listen to it and then react later. <laughs> yeah, it feels thought, a little wild to cuss your 33-year-old son out like and that. And then he puts that in an apology, and it's really a bad apology. All right. Well, so I, I get what you're saying, Beth, in terms of missing certain aspects of black culture because you're separated from the black church. I think for me— I mean, goddammit, um, I would have known about this if I went to a black church. Ben, Johnny, Rachel, I mean, and Julie ain't talking about Kirk. Hey, I did. I tweeted. I tweeted. <laughs> I would have heard about it at the Sunday service. T- it would have been a part of the sermon. One of the issues is I, I tweeted <laughs> about it like an Egyptian father. And I said, shame <laughs> on you, Kirk Franklin. Like 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 an, an Egyptian would, you know. <laughs> that's something that's been um, interesting to me is the idea that I grew up in a shame culture an honor-shame culture, and white people don't like shame. No, they don't. And honestly, shame is a communal emotion. You feel shame not just for you, but for your family, you know? And it would be nice if white people had that sense of community among themselves so they could feel some collective shame about their collective racism. And maybe then it wouldn't locate it so specifically on individuals and it would extend the ta- extend it to the family. You know, um, mm. in Egypt, there's an understanding that the things you do affect your, your whole system. Mm-hmm. And... There's, there's, there isn't such a diffusion, you might say, in Western culture 
Right. It's more difficult for, for Western culture to understand that, uh, that idea of collective shame or collective guilt. Or... Wait, Johnny, did you grow up going to any kind of ethnic church? Yeah, I'm still, I'm still um, all my cousins went. It was an ethnic family church and in the Lehigh mm -hmm. Valley, and that's where we went growing up. So I go to, we'd call it, an, it was interesting, we didn't call it a white church and a brown church. We called it an American church and an Egyptian church. That's how we separated mm -hmm. it. Um, hmm. And just this morning, I was listening to part of a sermon from the American church I went to. And I still keep up to date with what's happening at the Egyptian church. Um, and yeah, I did. Wait, how are they connected? They're just connected to me. Um, we oh, attended, okay. but so oh, so you went to two church. You you guys went to two churches. That's right. Because uh, my grandfather was a old Methodist minister, and then he came here and planted a non-denominational church. And my whole family was there, so you go to the family church. But it was in Allentown. We lived in an hour away, and an hour west of Allentown in Lebanon County, and I went to a church mm -hmm. there. So churches. Do you feel like Do you feel like that Egyptian church was different culturally because, like from like in in the style of worship or anything? Totally. From totally. Yeah. I mean, it was very familial, very familiar. Um, the pastor would host everyone at his house after each meeting, so the you could mm -hmm. go back and then the the what the black church calls the first lady would host the the uh, evening meal for everybody, um, and right. we'd all hang out there. That's definitely different, but mm -hmm. I had to become familiar with that in the same way that I had to become familiar with American culture because I was born here. And so I had to just figure out how I fit into two different places, um, mm -hmm. which right. didn't make me fit into either very well. And what you would see in mm -hmm. the immigrant church is second generation immigrants rebelling against cultural norms of their parents of course, yeah. in order to fit into white society. But that assimilation didn't really work because I was still an outsider in the white church. And so sure. you, you're a, you're a, you're a man without a country, you might say. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Classic immigrant experience. I, I totally relate to what you're saying, Johnny. At first, my, my impulse was to be like, unlike the black church, uh, there, there isn't there really, I was going, I was thinking like, there isn't really anything distinct culturally about an Asian immigrant church. Because okay. so much of – because you would think that so much of the Asian immigrant church is trying to assimilate to whiteness to an extent. But also there's the whole history of colonialism and like being uh, – having the faith brought over by missionaries. So like in, in terms of the style of worship and the culture that comes out of an Asian church, it feels pretty pretty much like any other church in that denomination. But at the same time, like once, Johnny, you were talking about how like there is a, there, there is a kind of family feeling. There's a communal feeling. There's a lot of going over to people's houses and eating food together. Mm -hmm. Like that is something that is very distinctive in terms of – um, Asian churches, and also exactly what you're talking about in terms of the, that generational tension, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, where it, the truth is, like in a lot of Chinese churches, you've got your first gen, like your first gen people worshiping at 9 a.m., and then downstairs in the basement, there's like an 11 a.m. English service with a bunch of second generation immigrants, mm -hmm. like second generation Asians, mm -hmm. who are basically doing their best to. You know, singing Hillsong and and being as white as possible. Uh, 
uh, and there's like tension between the two congregations because it's like two churches within one church and there's mm -hmm. all kinds of, you know, cultural generational tensions and what does it mean to be Asian, etc. Um, I can say that I don't really, I don't miss that about the Asian church. I, I would miss what you're, what Johnny is talking about in terms of the communal stuff. Um, I don't know. I feel kind of conflicted. Obviously I am at a white church and so are all of us. Mm -hmm. So we've all made some kind of calculus. Johnny is a pastor. All of us have made some kind of calculus telling that, that not being among our people, so to speak is worth it or is somehow, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious about what that means for us. If I'm looking for a community of progressive Arab American Christians, there is not a community of us almost anywhere in the United States enough to make up a church. Mm -hmm. And so I'm actually interested in starting a Facebook group. There's a progressive Asian American Christian group. I contacted the admins of the group and I said, hey, can I do one for Arabs? What do you think about that? And and then she said, yeah, good idea. Here's some advice. Mm -hmm. So I want that community. And I long for it. I just, it's unrealistic for me to find it in a church at, at this juncture. Mm -hmm. Now, because I can maybe find it in another way, like making this Facebook group, does, doesn't yeah. stop me from desiring to have a community to worship in. You know, cir Circle of Hope mm -hmm. was really important for me when I was younger. It validated um, my thoughts about Christianity, the faith, and, and even my uh, philosophical and political proclivities. Um, what attracted me to Circle was that it said it was anti-racist. And mm -hmm. I believe the heart of that is true. Um and and but then what keeps me here is well now it's family you know i don't i don't know i i uh i don't know what to do with that these are my people all of a sudden it's not like when you experience racism in the church it's not like a reason not to keep connecting it's like your uncle is being racist so now you have a relationship what do you do do you never go to thanksgiving again mm. is that what this is no, we're family, so we're going to figure it out. It has to get really bad for me to cut off. And honestly, if I didn't have those connections to begin with, if I walked in here today, maybe I maybe I would have had a different experience because of who I am now. Growing up in it changes that. And I'm not in a situation. It's not like the Southern Baptist Convention in Bethmore for me right now. Mm-hmm. There are things that we need to improve and that we're working on. We're about to hire an anti-racist consultant. That's great. And the church is amenable to our very anti-racist map that we've written for this year. Um, so that's good, you know. But the familial connection and the intimacy that I had and developed keeps me here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I... I feel a tension remaining at a white church, remaining at Circle of Hope, because I feel like there are some really distinct things that I lose, like just being understood as a black person and like my full humanity seen as an equal, like as soon as I walk in the door, 
is something that I lose. Um, and that's just like a fact of American white supremacy that like, even when white people don't intend to see me as a little bit less human, they do. Um, I lose the opportunity to dress up. I lose the music and clapping on the two and four. <laughs> like there's like so many mm-hmm. things that like I lose, but one thing, one critique of the black church that I have is that it has not moved with the times and met black millennials where we're at, right? Like there's this commitment to the past and oftentimes our ancestors, God bless them, but because a lot of our ancestors responded to white supremacy by replicating white supremacist Mm -hmm. structures, um, and making it led by black folks at the same, I'm a part of a historically black sorority, right? And like the same is true in our black fraternities and sororities. Um, And because of that, like a lot of black millennials are at a point where we just want to burn the whole system down. So going to a church that replicates white supremacy, but it's just led by black folks doesn't quite suit us, right? Like I have a really progressive lens on intersectionality and looking at the rights of not only black folks, but like black queer folks and Asian folks and the way Middle Eastern folks experience white supremacy. And I feel like sometimes the black church doesn't have that more expansive lens. I also feel like the black church is really horrible to gay people and has like historically been really shitty to gay people. And I couldn't Mm -hmm. be a part of an institution that holds that, right? So as much as I love the Black church, as much as I feel like the Black church is ingrained in Black culture in general, um, to find kind of like what you said, Johnny, to find like a really actually progressive Black church that I could align myself with as a woman as an advocate for the LGBTQ community, as somebody that believes in intersectionality, I can't can't find one that covers all of that. I form distinct community. I'm in a Black radical Christian women's group that meets monthly. But to find a church that is always doing that every Sunday, I haven't been able to find that. But there are white churches. I'm kind of going on a tirade because I've thought of this a lot. I feel like white people always feel like they're entitled to things um, and they're more open to change in order to get things like white people. So relate to capitalism in this way that like they'll move and pivot if they're going to gain something from it, if they're going to be able to consume it. So for Mm -hmm. that reason, I feel like the white church has kept evolving to keep getting people in in a way that the black church hasn't it's like walking into a restaurant when you walk in you know who the table is set for and it's very hard to set a table that includes everybody and so bethany's right Mm -hmm. you walk in and you know oh this isn't this this hospitality isn't meant for me You know, Mm -hmm. um, I would like Circle of Hope to be a space where questioning and progressive people of color feel safe and we're working on making that happen. Um, But I don't think Mm -hmm. that the ethnic church that I grew up in is that space either. You know, that's just Mm -hmm. not my it's not that's not my experience. And and, and the white evangelical church that I grew up in certainly isn't that. Um, And so I do think we have an opportunity in Circle to create that. Um, 
but it's 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 going to take work and blood and sweat tears you know it's not it's not easy mm-hmm. to do that yeah I, I what you're saying beth about how uh, about your some of your issues with the black church i think i can see the same thing in the asian church i, I think there's a connection there in that both of these institutions are kind of historically really value respectability mm-hmm. um for asians it's it's about i mean both of it i mean the respectability obviously like is a survival strategy right um but for Asians, like respectability in the sense that like we come to this country and we want white people to respect us. So we try to be more white. And because of because like both of those institutions prioritize respectability, I think both of them, there is a, like a tendency toward being more conservative of not wanting to rock the boat too much because mm-hmm. you you don't want you don't want to start trouble. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right, Beth, in the sense that it's probably easier for a white institution that isn't worried about respectability to. Yep be progressive mm-hmm. um, and to put resources in that direction. Uh, but it's also interesting because the white church is so committed to the performance of goodness. And when you call out racism, people lose their fucking minds. So it's like they pivot in performative ways as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I quibble with your comparison, Andrew? Do it. I'm not Asian, so I don't want to overstep here. But mm-hmm. I think that the survival of overseas immigrants in the United States creates a different kind of respectability towards whiteness that I think the black church has historically resisted. Um, there's too many black abolitionists and black activists that found their passion through the gospel for me to say that. However, Bethany's right, in my opinion, in my observation, that patriarchy and heteronormativity Mm -hmm. are issues in the black church, even when civil rights and racism aren't. And I didn't find that to be true. The ethnic church I grew up in was not self-aware about its uh, treatment in the United States. You know, we thought we were assimilating mm-hmm. to a culture because we were being polite, because we're at someone else's house, and so you uh, assimilate to their norms. That favor is never returned. Instead of hospitality, you get colonized. They start to change mm-hmm. you, you know, um, and my people didn't understand that. They thought adapting to American culture was polite and the right thing to do. Um Mm-hmm. But that treatment was never returned. I think in the black tradition, there's a real sense of who they are separate from whiteness, um, even mm-hmm. in a conservative black church. What do you think about that, Bethany? I agree, but I think the separation is in show in a lot of ways that um, black folks mm-hmm. won't recognize. Like if I think I said to one of my old heads that like, you know, our historically black fraternities and sororities just kind of mimic white structures um, led by black folks, I think they would give me a lot of pushback. And I think um, the black church would as well. I think they would think that they were completely different and not Mm. be open to seeing the similarities and the way that um, black folks like hierarchy, like the idea of lateral... um, leadership 
nah, like as soon as I get ordained as a deacon, you better call me deacon and you better call me evangelist and minister. You can't call me by my first name. Like that, that type of like established hierarchy. And you think that's a product of whiteness? That's interesting. I do. I think hierarchical structures in which there are some people above others is a white supremacist structure. So any derivative of it feels like a white supremacist structure. Like even Mm -hmm. me as a little kid, when I would make no boys allowed clubs and I was the president of it, that feels, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. why did I need that hierarchy? None of us liked boys. We were eight. But I wanted I ha- to be the president. I have this unique you know? experience. Circle of Hope, super low church, trying to be non-hierarchical. So you call me Johnny, you don't call me Pastor. And that's a thing, right? Mm-hmm. My neighbors who are black call me Pastor. And yeah, Of course they do. I don't, cor- mm-hmm. I don't correct Pastor them. Johnny. Why? Because <laughs> I think that low church, low church structure, low ecclesiology... I think that's very evangelical. I think that's very um, Baptist, you might say. And so it's interesting how I'm noticing that there's uh, another another side of whiteness is invisibilizing the hierarchy. So you don't see who's right, because but you don't see who's in power because hey, I'm not the pastor. Mm. You don't call me pastor, you know. And so there's there's something yeah. about that that's. I would say, at least in hierarchical structures, you're aware of your power, if not mm-hmm. proud of it. In some white systems, mm-hmm. the non-hierarchy conceals power as opposed to actually sure. um, filling the valleys and leveling the hills. Right, yeah. Zuckerberg wears a hoodie. There you go. That's the perfect example. Well said. I don't want to dwell on this too long, but I, I, I do want to say this. I wonder if Johnny... I you're I did connect to what you were saying about how uh, immigrants who come to this country are uh, see that their job as assimilation because they they are guests. I do I, I am I am thinking though about the history of of my family and our adoption of Christianity going back to the 1860s, and how I feel like for a lot of Asians. Who became Christians in Asia? It's a, it's a, it's because of colonization. It's because that kind of reaching toward whiteness was a way to kind of get status, and in that way, like, is very explicitly trying to climb towards whiteness it, in a way that goes beyond being a guest. How do you feel about that? I think that there are. I think that is incidentally true. I I often question the consciousness of that, um, because. I do think that there is an instinct to assimilate for the sake of hospitality without knowing that you're doing so to collect power. You're doing so to fit in. That could be power. Um, The consciousness of that I am unsure about. And I would be hard-pressed to accuse your parents or my parents of seeking after whiteness, Um, even though I think it is, in fact, what is setting the table that they are trying to assimilate to. So, like, I agree with you in that sense that mm-hmm. they are trying to assimilate to whiteness because that fits in, that makes right. you survive better. But for them, it's a, it's a matter of survival. It's not a matter of domination. I mean, I, I completely agree that it's a matter of survival and not domination, but it's like – there was a reason that my mom had my, that my mom had me play the violin and my mom played the piano and like 
people in her family played other Western sure. instruments and played classical music, even when they were in Taiwan, it's because you could, that's how you get ahead. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not like they weren't, again, like I, they weren't consciously like, how do we deny our Asian-ness to be more like white people? They were just, again, it's like they're trying to survive. They're trying to play by the rules that uh, in a lot of ways, whiteness has, whiteness made those rules. Mm -hmm. They're trying to play by those rules and, and get the best life that they can. It's insidious, but it's I mean, not I malicious. The history of Asian Americans in the United States is longer than the history of Arab Americans. And so the, the mm. oppression of Chinese people and even uh, Japanese people and, and, and so on in the United internment camps, mm. the ch um, Chinese labor for railroads, right? Like you learn to mm. assimilate and then all of a sudden you're playing the violin back in the homeland. You know, Egypt just didn't have that story of history. And so we're still playing the oot, right. you know, like that's, that's what you bring. Like, uh -huh. that's just, just how it is. Yeah. Um, where were we? We were talking about, this is a little bit of a tangent. We were okay. We were talking, this is how I feel sometimes about circle of hope. Sometimes I feel like, uh, Jesus tells that parable of, um, the servant who's about to get fired. And so before he gets fired, he goes to the people who owe his master a debt and like start writing off their debts before he gets fired. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like what I'm trying to do is take advantage of all of all the resources of this white church mm -hmm. uh, before I get sick of it and leave and like do as much good while I can while I'm still mm -hmm. here. I know that's not the, the best attitude, but it is how I feel sometimes. Yeah, um, I can agree with that, Philly. Okay, I feel weird like admitting this in front of Johnny, who just compared the, the church to like a family, which I agree. I I do feel like that sometimes, but sometimes I feel like um, we just we have to do as much good as we can while we're here, because um, because it's not our real home. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Bethany. Can you connect to what I'm saying? Yeah, I do, because I think that a lot of white churches have a storied history of like burning their black folks out. So whenever I attend a, a white church and that includes circle, I assume that I'm going to get burnt out and that my time is limited at that space. So I'm going to try to do as much and move people as forward as possible while I'm here before I get burnt out and have to leave. I hold the church provisionally. So it's not even a matter of my survival in the church. It's the, it's a matter of the church's survival. Because this ain't going to be around forever. Mm -hmm. Neither am I. Neither am I in the church. And so mm -hmm. I think both about the good that I can do now and how I can do it in such a way as to make it uh, longer, you could say. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it might surprise you to hear that, yeah, there are days and there are moments where I'm like, I could do this somewhere else. You know, I'm I'm convicted as mm -hmm. by God to be a pastor by vocation. And so and I have a lot to offer. And so if what I'm putting out there isn't appreciated, I can find another place for it to be appreciated and for my gifts to be used to their best end. Um that doesn't happen every day and that's why I'm still here, but that's a, that's that's really on the table. You know, it's not I'm not mm – -hmm. if you can't see how you're going to get out, the relationship isn't healthy. 
you need to know that you're not stuck in mm. it for you to have a healthy yeah. connection with your church and with everybody. You know, you, you, um, if you feel mm-hmm, trapped, yeah. if you feel obligated, if you feel, if your sense of guilt for leaving is overwhelming, that doesn't allow your true self to come forward because something else is defining it. Mm-hmm. What's defining it? Your anxiety about who you will be if you leave, sure. how you will be if you leave. Mm-hmm. And so when you overcome that, you can then bring your true self. And that, that goes for churches, that goes for family systems, that goes for marriages and relationships. You need to be able to see who you would mm-hmm. be after in order to be your true self while you're in it still. In it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. That is a good thing to say. Tess is going to quote that on our Instagram for sure. <laughs> Shout out to Tess. Um, yeah. Uh, let's, let, I mean, let's address this as a kind of last topic before we go into what we're into. Um, we are currently in the process of hiring an anti-racist consultant. And one of the reasons that we agreed that we said we wanted to do that was, uh, that we're interested in seeing what is stopping us from, from becoming a more multiracial church. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, like as I was thinking about our reasons for doing that, I was thinking to myself, like, I, I really don't know what would, what would make our church more diverse in terms of drawing more Asians to it. Mm-hmm. Like it's been so long since I've thought about, and maybe it's just because I'm, and this is on me, like kind of disconnected from other kind of Asian organizing that's connected to like, like, I don't know what other cra- Asian Christians are, are up to. Like, I've, I'm just not connected to that world much anymore. Um, and like, I, I, I feel somewhat of a conviction about that, that I need to deal with. But I don't know. What are you guys hoping to get? Like, am I am I correct in that? So that's something that we're all aspiring to becoming, mm-hmm. uh, getting more people that look like us. I actually really, I think what I'm aspiring to, more than I'm hoping that there are more people of color in the congregation, I'm really hoping that white people have a change of heart and are able mm-hmm. to see, um, all people as equals and as valid. Because I think some of my most heinous experiences have come from folks not really seeing me as a whole person as I feel I have felt infantilized. I have felt like gaslight, gaslit, that sort of thing. And Mm -hmm. I think I really want white folks to be able to look inward instead of trying to put the onus outward on people of color. What a great point. And I think that will inevitably bring more people of color. But I think we need to really, really wrestle with our sin of like, gaslighting and stuff like that that has caused people to leave i don't think that can happen until that change of heart happens for sure and now that we're talking about this i'm not even and in fact i i think i addressed this in our when our first meeting we're like i'm not even convinced that like having a multiracial congregation is an achievable aspiration or something that should be explicitly an aspiration Mm -hmm. um i don't know johnny you're making a face what do you think I want the church to be as diverse as the kingdom of God, and I'm going to keep trying to that end. And if I die failing, at least I tried. Um, mm-hmm. uh-huh. And my example is the New Testament. 
I, I, and, and not even the New Testament. It's the Old Testament, yeah. too. You know, two brief examples. After Babylonian captivity, now we're talking about the Old Testament, when Israel was mm -hmm. um, overtaken by the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, you know these stories, perhaps. Yeah. Israel lost the sense of its own identity, and so when it came out of captivity, it had a sense of nationalism that defined it. And they were very hesitant about including outsiders, including the Moabites. So during the time of the prophets Ezra and Nehemiah, this, this book was written called Ruth. Why was Ruth written? To remind the people of Israel that in David, King David, their main king they love in his lineage was a Moabite named Ruth. And mm -hmm. so diversity and inclusion is uh, essential for the church. And Paul and the work of the early church was about inclusion. Paul painstakingly tried to include both Jew and Gentile and slave and free, right? No, male nor female is what he says mm -hmm. in Galatians 3.28. And, and in Philip, when he's on the run, evangelizes to an Ethiopian eunuch. He evangelizes to the whole Ethiopian church in a moment of anxiety, in a moment of stress. What is this scriptural, biblical witness pointing us to? That diversity in the body is an essential component. That if you're not trying to achieve diversity, not just in terms of attendance, in terms of leadership, and in terms of power, then you are necessarily excluding somebody. And so it always has to mm -hmm. be the case. And I'm, I'm not going to – if the church can't be multicultural, if that's just something that we can't do, then I don't want to be a Christian because I don't – why would I be a part of an institution that wants to um, double down on the way that the world separates us? I'm not interested in that. I'll find somewhere, somewhere else to go. Because if Christianity means churches are organized by something as arbitrary as race, then that makes it fundamentally a white supremacist institution. And I am, I'm just not – I'm not going to do that. Hmm. I'm wondering if my – you see, you say – I mean you talk about how the church in general needs to be multicultural – and diverse and I, I agree with you but then i think about like can the expression of the church in a local congregation be itself multicultural and diverse and like honestly like it's hard, it's hard to for, imagine it. it's hard to ma imagine yeah but in 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 the fact that i find it hard to imagine am i acquiescing to white supremacy am i saying that white supremacy is stronger than the church uh which jesus says will you know conquer the gates of hell um i don't know Maybe I am. Maybe my imagination is too limited. Maybe I should aspire to be more like Johnny. I don't know. Beth, how do you feel? I think we're all coming at it at different angles at different points. Sometimes mm -hmm. I have the inspiration and then sometimes I'm kind of like, fuck this shit. This is too hurtful. Mm -hmm. So I do think to remain at a white church and to keep working to be the new creation that God calls us to 
it calls for a lot of Absolutely. asking God for his strength. You know, one of the one of the reasons I just don't want to resign yeah. myself like that is because of the work of the Spirit in my life and the transformational work of Jesus. I believe this. And it's changed me and it's affected me. And I'm not going to walk away just giving it up to uh, white supremacy. You're not going to take my religion. You're not going to take my faith. And we're going to really have a fight about it. Because I'm not ready to cede the mm -hmm. territory mm -hmm. to you. As uncomfortable as you make it, I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. right. And maybe that's foolish. But that's the fight that I'm in. That's what God's given me to do. And if at the end of the day, I, mm -hmm. before the Son of Man, I say, that's what I did with my life, I believe I can answer to God that mm -hmm. way. And that would be a life well lived. All right. <laughs> okay. Let, let's, okay, fantastic. All right, let's move on to our last segment. Um, let's move on to our last segment there. I think that was a good thing. I think, what else can we say to that? That's a good yeah. way to end. We'd like to close out our podcast by talking about whatever we're into this week. Uh, so, Beth, do you want to kick us off? Sure. I am into some candles that I ordered. Um, Honey's Natural Candles. Um, she's a black woman in the Philadelphia area, and her candles are better than uh, Bath and Body Works, which I typically order my candles from there. So check out honeysnaturalcandles.com. Nice. Um, I'll go next. I am into, I was up in Manhattan, Chinatown yesterday for a short weekend getaway. And I discovered the existence of mochi donuts, uh, yeah. which are like, they're absolutely delicious. They're like a donut, but they kind of have the slightly stretchy consistency of mochi. And I got them from a place in Manhattan, Chinatown called Ali Mama Tea. Uh, they're really good. They're, um, you can get them in vegan varieties. Absolutely mm. delicious. That's what I'm into. You'll have to Johnny? cut this in. I need to think for a second. I don't have something automatically. Um, okay. I'm into okay. the uh, I'm into the American Rescue Plan, and I'll tell you why. I'm very excited. Okay, Johnny, you are I killing very... me tonight. My friend is downstairs waiting, and I'm like, okay, let's wrap up. And then you do that long-ass pause, and then you talk about a, like, thousand-page long listen. <laughs> Holy shit. I am thrilled that this massive uh, bill was passed, mm -hmm. and the first step towards undoing the disastrous Clinton administration's welfare reform has happened. Now, mm -hmm. aid to families is not tied to work. That's such a big deal. That's a that's mm -hmm. a, a a a, a mm -hmm. foundational change, and I think it's gonna. I think it changes the soul of the country, and it really helps a lot of people who have been ignored only, only for racist reasons, because they don't have a mm -hmm. problem giving a mother who doesn't work money so long as her husband works. Well, guess. What race mothers who don't, single mothers who don't work are predominantly? Black mothers. And there it is. Yeah. That's the issue. That's what it's undoing, that kind of systemic racism. So that's what I'm into. All right. Cool. Um, <clears throat> so with that, um, a special thanks to 
Tess Patino, our new social media director, who Woo-hoo! has yeah, who has done a fantastic job managing our Instagram. Um, and also, you know, special thanks to Luke Bartolomeo, our communications manager, who helps us figure out the streams and stuff. Jared Selby does our theme song. Yeah, and make sure that you all follow us on our Instagram. It is Color Correction Podcast, I believe, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, make sure you follow our Instagram, Color Correction Podcast, and also go to our website, colorcorrectionpodcast.com, and let us know how you're working out your faith in Jesus um, and race. And with that being said, stay black, Little Mermaid. You have, okay, so right. start us. Welcome yeah, to Color Correction. This is GCC Podcast. <laughs> do that. Do part. Andrew's face. Don't do him like that. That's Andrew wow. Shy. Um, You're listening to Resist and Restore, a podcast oh, no. from the Circle of Hope Pastors. I have mine down. Wow. <laughs> so you actually do that every week. I guess. I guess you must. I am. Right. The, I am the okay. guy. I like repeating. It sounds like, different. It sounds exactly the same every yeah, week. Same, I thought it was so a I recording. It was a pre-recorded. Yeah. Oh no! Yeah. It's always me that says it. See, I'm used to saying like, you know, "Welcome back to release your shoulder restraints from the." Oh boy, I just messed it up. Welcome <laughs> back. Oh, this is your Hershey Park spiel. To release your shoulder restraints, unlock the belt from the shoulder restraint by pulling up. You may then exit to your right and proceed all the way down the stairs. Thank you for riding Great Bear, and enjoy the rest of your day at Hershey Park. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's perfect.